Exceeding Expectations, episode 36. Welcome to the podcast that aims to give you ideas of how you can find ways to give your customers a better experience, just to, to give them more than they were expecting. And that's the way to retain clients. And that's how you get better testimonials, better referrals, which then means you spend less money on marketing and advertising. My guest in this week's episode is Naresh Visa, who's a digital marketing expert. And he's got some very interesting stories, especially one about Donald Trump. He's got a book called The Trump Book, which is all about the way that Trump and his team used digital marketing. And he, Naresh says that he could clearly see way before the election that they were going to win the election quite easily, simply because of the way they were using digital marketing and online marketing in such a superior way to, to their opponents. And he thinks that unless their opponents wise up, it's going to be the same thing again in the next election. So that's some things coming up in this week's episode. If you do like this episode, please do leave a review for us on places such as Stitcher and, and iTunes. Uh, maybe subscribe to the podcast so you, you ensure that it's downloaded to your phone or your tablet every week. We have a Facebook group. You can go in there and leave, um, you know, ask questions, uh, start conversations about different things. Just simply go onto Facebook and search for Exceeding Expectations. If you have any suggestions for guests that would be that you would like to hear, anyone you know who does have the mindset of trying to over-deliver, of trying to give their customers a much better experience then please do get in touch and um, and yeah, I can I can get in contact with them to see if they are interested in being a guest on the show. So right now, it's over to Naresh Fisa. This week's edition of Exceeding Expectations, my guest is Naresh Fisa. Did I, did I, spell, did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, Naresh Fisa. Fantastic. And Naresh, you're in, in Tampa, you were telling me. Yep, Tampa, Florida. And, and where did you where did you grow up in the States? I grew up in Houston, Texas. That's where mm-hmm. I was born and raised for the first uh, 18 years or so of my life. And then I went away to college um, out of state and never went back to, to Houston after that, at, at least to live. And so is, uh, is Tampa your home now or do you see yourself moving from there sometime? Tampa is home. I recently got married. We bought a house and uh, Tampa is, is home and it's been home for the last four and a half years. So you mentioned about when you, uh, after you left Houston and you went to, to university and so on. And so tell me a, bit, a little bit about your journey into kind of entrepreneurship. Well, when I was in high school, I always... Uh, that's when I gained an interest in entrepreneurship. I actually took a course uh, and most high schools don't offer courses like this, but it was a course on uh, Donald Trump and his show, the, the apprentice. And that Mm -hmm. was my first introduction into business and entrepreneurship because in, in high school, you're at least here in the United States, it's mostly the, the generic English, math, physics, chemistry, et cetera. Um, mm. this course kind of opened my eyes into the, the, the business opportunities that are available. And it also made me understand, uh, how the wealthy people I knew, my friends, some of my friends' parents, for example, or my classmates' parents, how they built their wealth. And it was not 
by working at a full-time job somewhere. Um, it was because、mm-hmm. they went out on their own, started some kind of business, whether it was a law firm or an accounting firm, CPA, oil and gas. I grew up in Houston, as I said, which is heavy oil and gas.、Um, mm-hmm. That's how they became wealthy. So、um, that's that's when entrepreneurship kind of、uh, piqued my interest, to say.、Mm-hmm. And but I never really knew how to get involved in it.、Uh, I, I,、mm-hmm. I studied it, I learned it, I followed it. Um, and then when I went off to college, I even lived on a floor full of. It was a special, what what they called a learning community, full of entrepreneurs, people who had the same interests that I had.、Um, so again, studied it, learned it, was was involved with it, had friends who who tried to get into it.、Um, then around my when I was about nineteen years old, I、mm-hmm. I guess you can say that's when I, without even knowing it, started my first business. So、mm-hmm. I was working at a radio station or interning at a radio station during the summer between my freshman and sophomore year,、mm-hmm. and sophomore years. And at the end of my term, the radio station asked me to continue working while I went to school. And the、mm-hmm. radio station was based in Texas. The、uh, I went to school in in New York, and so I thought it was back then. It was. 2008, and it was.、Uh, I thought that would be a little challenging,、uh, juggling school and being out of state. But that ended up turning into a career in in radio, which turned into a, a service that I offered in podcasting, which、mm-hmm. is now 11 years later. We manage, we produce, and manage more than 20 different podcasts. Whether it's getting them up and running. Managing them, producing them,、um, consulting with with podcasts, etc. But back、mm-hmm. in when I was, like I said, nineteen years old, I was just trying. I enjoyed what I was doing. I had a great opportunity to make some money on the side while I was going to school. It was good money,、uh, especially for my age.、Um, and then, as I started getting into the nitty gritty of that, I said, "Well." I have one client. Why, why don't I try to get five clients? Why, why just stick with this one radio station? I should go to other radio stations and see if I can do the same thing for them. And that、mm-hmm. was my first foray into entrepreneurship. All those previous years, I just kind of studied it. Nothing really clicked. And then when I finally built up a skill set, I was able to promote and market my services and、mm-hmm. uh, secure business. And then once I was able to do that, I was able to grow my my business and start offering more services,、um, even services that I wasn't able to do. I was able to hire people and、uh, and grow what is now Krish Media and Marketing. And so, when in those early days that you were doing radio, what was it that you particularly in, enjoyed about it? Well, I was always interested in becoming a sports broadcaster. As a kid, middle schooler, high schooler,、um, I got great experience in high school, being an editor of the school newspaper, also broadcasting many of the sports games, whether it was the high school football games, high school basketball games. So I always wanted to work in in broadcasting, whether it was television, radio, maybe even print. So one of my majors in college was broadcast and digital journalism, 
at the time, journalism was was going digital. So uh, I didn't really know what the digital aspect of it meant. Uh, now, mm-hmm. 11 years later, it's it's all digital. Digital is, it, it's all digital journalism. But at the mm-hmm. time, um, I was extremely interested in, in broadcasting and in radio reporting, TV reporting, like I said, not just in front of the camera, but um, behind the scenes as well as a director, producer, editor, etc. So um, that's why I was interested in radio. That's how I got my first internship while I was in college in, in radio at the radio station. And um, it wasn't just talk show stuff. It, ju- it wasn't just producing and booking. It was also reporting, doing radio reporting, radio news reporting. Uh, got some great experience doing all of that. And, and around those days is when podcasts, podcasting st- first started to break through as well, wasn't it? Yeah, well, podcasting back then uh, was not what it is today, obviously. Mm. So um, today now you, you mentioned podcasts and everybody has a podcast app. Why do I say everybody does? Because if you own an iPhone or an Android, it automatically mm. comes with a podcasting app, um, whether mm. it's a, a tablet, iPad, iPhone. Android phone, etc. Um, podcasting back then simply was a digital format of audio. Um, so mm. it could be your regular AM FM radio show, and you digitize it so that it's not just live and on air, but you digitize it, turn it into an MP3 file and make it available for download on the internet. That's what that's the basic definition of, of podcasting. And that's what it was back then. There was no mm-hmm. TuneIn or Stitcher or SoundCloud um, or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Maybe iHeartRadio mm-hmm. was around, but it wasn't obviously wasn't as ubiquitous as it was back then. So, mm-hmm. so to go back, a, a podcast is simply a program. It could even be music made available in digital format for download over the internet. And that's what podcasting was back in 2008 and 2009 when I was getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, were you, did you find podcasts appealing back then? Well, in, I actually didn't, um, to me, a podcast was just a term for uh, a file that that's really Mm -hmm. all it was. Um, and Mm. it's largely because the generation I grew up in was different from the generation say that my parents grew up in. My parents had no interest in getting an audio file online. Um, mm. They probably still listen to AM FM radio, whereas in my case, it was easier to listen on my computer at the time because mm. the the iPhone uh, wasn't as ubiquitous back then and smartphones weren't as ubiquitous back then. But mm. um, like I said, it was easier to just listen on my computer to a podcast maybe while I was working or just surfing the internet or whatnot. Um, but it wasn't until about 2011 when I was in graduate school that a company found me on LinkedIn and uh, recruited me, interviewed me, and uh, asked me to to essentially consult with them on launching a podcasting division for their for their general publishing company. Hmm. And I didn't know much about podcasting, and I even told them I said I don't think I'm qualified for the job. And they said, look, this is a new thing. No one's qualified for the job, but based on your background in radio, your background in business and finance, given that Mm. they were a financial publisher, they thought that I was a good fit. 
And um, I said, okay, let's give it a try. They said, try it out for a few months and let's see how it goes. Well, the few months turned into seven or eight months and uh, ended up getting a full-time job right out of school. And I like to say that the rest is history because um, I essentially left behind corporatism. I left behind the idea of getting a job in banking or in management consulting, which is what I went to graduate school for and pursued more entrepreneurial ventures thanks to podcasting. Hmm. And then that led you into uh, your, your, your company, uh, Krish Media. Yep, that led me into my company. And the way that got started is because uh, I mentioned earlier that I my first service was in the radio space. Well, I, even when I was working full-time, I didn't give up my side, I guess we can call them side hustles or side hobbies. I didn't give those mm-hmm. up um, because I, I had time on the side and um, it was it was kind of extra money that was coming in. And my side hustle um, only grew while I was working full time. Uh, it's weird how that works, but it just happened to grow while I was working full time. And then when I left my employer um, from day one it, or within the within one month of leaving my employer, it's like I gave myself a 20 percent raise. Um, mm. And and when I left my employer, I was I was able to accomplish a lot while I was working for them. And I built up Mm. great contacts within that industry. And people trusted me and the work that I did and the services that I offered. So, um, so that's, that's partly why within one month, I gave myself a 20% raise going out on my own. And I was able to offer not just the podcasting services, but the other stuff that I learned, the other online and digital and, and marketing uh, skills that I learned on uh, during that full-time job, I was able to apply those to, um, to my business. And um, that's how my business has been running ever since. So it's Krish Media and Marketing. We're a full service. Now it's a full service uh, technology agency. At the time, it started out just offering uh, a few online and, and digital marketing services, including podcasting. Now we're full service. We do uh, web development, technology development, app development, design, copywriting, affiliate marketing, SEO, PPC, you name it. If you go to krishmediamarketing.com, you can see all the services that we offer. And um, I've, it's something that I've built up over the past six years, like I said. So in, in the six years since you've uh, been doing that, how do you think the industry has changed? How has marketing changed in the last six years? Well, it's it's definitely it's it's continuing to change and marketing will continue to change as we move forward. Marketing 10 years ago is nothing like marketing today. 10 years mm-hmm. ago, uh, Twitter was just coming up. It was around, but it was just coming up. Um, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, Uber wasn't around. Snapchat was not around. Um, they weren't even, Snapchat was not even an idea. Uh, Lyft was not around. So um, the way you market it's constantly evolving. Traditionally, you market, uh, traditionally, we think of mailers, snail mail, we think of billboard advertising, we think of newspaper ads. Um, All those are pretty much dying. I don't want to say dead, but they're dying. And so the new media, the new way of marketing, if you just look at the data and the numbers, more and more people, not just within the United States, but globally, are switching to smartphones, they have access to the internet, so that's become the, for better or for worse, that's become the channel and the medium where you get your highest rate of uh, return on investment. 
So um, technology has changed the game. And that's why I said I, I now have a technology agency instead of a marketing agency, because marketing mm. and technology have merged. There's really not much of a distinction between the two. Um, technology mm. is marketing and marketing is technology. So there's a lot happening right now. And there's going to continue to be um, a, lot, a lot more happening as we move forward. And I can tell you the biggest changes I've seen since, let's say, 2008, 2009, when I got started to where I am today is, again, the technology has improved. The processes have become more efficient um, because of technology, the cost of doing business, the cost of starting a business, the cost of conducting business, all of that has gone down. And it's partly how I was able to grow Krish Media and Marketing. Krish Media and Marketing uh, would not, if, if, if what we're doing right now would not have been possible 10 years ago because mm. of uh, lack of outsourcing, lack of, of uh, availability of talent, um, lack of, of just general resources, of knowledge. Knowledge is another important thing. Um, but technology has made it all easier. And, and on, on the marketing side, you can now track everything. Big data has become a big part of, of every, every business, really. Um, and it's easier to track that data, to capture data, to engage with that data. So um, I've given you several different examples, but um, marketing has really, really changed in the last 10 years, and it's going to continue to change within the next 10 years. And, and so in the next 10 years, where do you see it going? What do you think might happen? Well, it's certainly going to continue to digitize um, in every facet possible. So um, I think this is more of like a, a broad economics uh, discussion more than a marketing discussion. I think we're going to see because of technology, uh, we're going to see some players increase their margins because now you can essentially automate so many of your processes. You can now automate or outsource um, so many functions previously where you had to hire somebody in-house full-time. Um, and so we're going to see major changes, I think, to uh, not just the U.S. economy, but to the global economy as a whole. I think the U.S. economy will, will end up getting hurt a little bit more because the U.S. is known to be outsourcers, whereas countries like India and the Philippines are known to be to thrive as a result of the outsourcing. They're the ones that the work is being outsourced there. So they're becoming uh, richer. And we've seen that from my home country of India uh, post during the dot com and post dot com when it comes to technology and now when it comes to marketing. So um, digitization is huge. Outsourcing is huge. It's going to continue to um, those those skills are going to continue to become hot commodities, and they're I think going to continue to be outsourced for much cheaper, for essentially uh, nickels on the dollar. And then on top of that, um, when it comes to to marketing spend, um, it's all about return on investment. So I think companies because they're able to track better, or individuals are able to track their campaigns better. Um, they're going to be a lot more selective. In uh, previously, they could probably uh, put some money here, put some money there, stick to some kind of marketing budget. I think the concept of a marketing budget is almost down the drain um, because you can now track that ROI, and so the budget can be unlimited if the ROI is unlimited, or the budget mm -hmm. uh, could be non-existent um, as mm -hmm. well. So. 
Um, that's where we're going with with marketing. I think everything's going to be digitized, whether you're a mom and pop restaurant trying to get business, trying to get more customers, which can be through Yelp, which can be through Google reviews, um, or which can be through having good search engine optimization, SEO, running online promotions, Facebook ads, etc. None of this was happening 10 years ago. I mean, none of it mm-hmm. was happening w- within the, the physical business space 10 years ago. But now and now, it's, everything's becoming competitive. And the people who aren't going digital, the people who aren't adapting to 2019 and the 21st century are the ones who are being left behind. Before you were telling me, before we started recording, you were telling me about um, you've written quite a few books. Was it five books you've written? Yep, five books to date. And, and how did that come about? What, what made you start writing books? The genesis of my first book was Podcastonomics, the book of podcasting to make you millions. The genesis of that was my business. It was uh, working with podcasting clients, trying to um, get their business and trying to manage, like I said earlier, manage, run, produce podcasts. I realized that um, it was getting kind of annoying how many inquiries we were getting and the lack of business we were getting. So mm-hmm. it was um, people would come in as a lead. We'd set up meetings with them, consultations, and nothing was really happening. And I kept repeating myself, saying the same thing over and over again. Now, when we did get business, the frustrating part with getting the business was a lot of the times our clients were paying us, but they wouldn't listen to us. They didn't think they they, they were struggling to it. It was a new concept to them, this idea of podcasting. So they were trying to resist it. They were trying to fight it. So instead mm-hmm. of fighting with them, or fighting with the leads or banging my head against a wall about all the time I was wasting, I said, well, let me just do something about it and let's put it all on paper. So mm. I that was a genesis from my living room in, in downtown Baltimore at the time. I just started writing a, a, a primer on podcasting from soup to nuts so that um, if instead of setting up all these meetings, I could say, hey, check out this book, Podcastnomics, or check out this primer. It has all the answers to the questions that you have. Um, Mm. And so I I wrote it. I then um, got a lot of support from it, from friends, from business partners, from clients, and um, decided to publish it. So I published a book, Podcastnomics, um, created a little bit of marketing spin around it, and then um, published a book and ended up doing extremely well. Part of it was timing. It came out kind of at the um, when, when podcasting turned a corner in in the mm-hmm. fall of 2014. That was when this uh, uh, the first mainstream podcast came out called Serial, and it came out in the fall of 20, 2014, which is when my book came out. It was the first mm-hmm. time that many people around the world had heard of a podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that certainly helped my book sales and it's uh, gone on to sell more than 12,000 copies. Uh, It's brought in a lot of business for us on the podcasting side. I've spoken at conferences, done a ton of podcast interviews, uh, and we work with many, many different podcasters. And that gave you the taste for writing then, did it? That gave me the taste for writing. Um, I've always had an interest in writing. I I brought up earlier my background in journalism and uh, doing stuff in newspaper, magazine, print, radio, television, etc. So I've always had an interest in writing and um, always wanted to write a book as a kid. 
uh, just mm-hmm. never knew how to do it. I thought it was really hard to do. Uh, people would tell me when I used to shadow journalists how difficult it was to write a book and how difficult it was to get published. But again, mm-hmm. technology has made it, uh, has gotten rid of the gatekeepers and the, the free market is, is greater at work. So technology is what helped me, not just podcast, but helped me write my books, helped me publish my books, helped me promote my books, um, and sell now more than 15,000 copies of all my books combined. I'm, I'm intrigued by the title of one of your books, uh, Trump Book. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So Trump Book was, um, well, I, I, I should preface not just Trump Book, but all my books. I, I told you the genesis of podcastonomics. Really, all mm. my books, the genesis of each one of them was some kind of frustration. And mm. um, the, the frustration that I, I sh- shared with Podcastnomics was my clients weren't listening to me. Leads were, I, I just, I was wasting my time with, with leads. The, the mm. frustration with Trump book was um, the, the proof and the, the proof and the data was in online and digital when it came to that 2016 election. And um, that election here in the United States was incre- incredibly polarizing. And I think elections moving forward uh, because of social media, because of technology, will only become more polarizing. I don't think it has mm. to do with the candidates per se. It's just the time that we live in is very different from the time, let's say, 20 years ago, when there wasn't such a public forum, online forum, where anybody could get online behind a keyboard and type whatever they wanted. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that, that forum is what has led to this concept that you hear of called fake news, because now, again, anybody can get behind a keyboard and write anything and type anything, and it can come across as news. So Trump book was a result of um, kind of my frustrations, which is how people, or I should say how the, the, the left um, was just so ignorant and refused to look at the data that from the start really was showing that Donald Trump um, would not only win the Republican nomination, but he would win the presidency as well. And he was a dark mm-hmm. horse candidate who came out of nowhere. Um, he ran a few times in the past before nothing really happened. He actually ran as uh, on super liberal uh, some even socialist policies, um, couldn't even win uh, an independent party ticket. The difference, the difference was he took a break, uh, built up his brand through The Apprentice Show, which I brought up earlier, became a media and television um, icon. And that's how he built up his brand to go from just being a business person to being a, a show business person. Um, mm. And then he used online and digital extremely well um, to the point that he even hired, I mean, he hired special um, IT teams, marketing teams, big data teams to identify keywords, whether it was in print advertising, whether it was in his speeches, oral uh, presentations, so that he was saying the right stuff that would resonate with people. And so my book, Mm -hmm. Trump Book, goes into this idea and this concept that the 2016 election, um, yeah, it was won by Donald Trump, but it was also won because of the online and digital marketplace. And it goes into the data behind that, showing that um, from the start, Trump was crushing it online and digitally. And by crushing Mm -hmm. it, I don't mean um, unpopular, because 
the the general consensus was um yeah he's getting a lot of publicity online but it's all negative and so as a result he's going to lose because everyone's going to vote against him but um what that shows is um if you go back to 2004 which is when blogs and, and the internet really started becoming mainstream in the united states uh, every presidential candidate who won online and digital won the presidency and by winning online and digital it's basically it's basically the simple the simple idea the simple concept of whoever is being talked about the most is going to win mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if the mainstream news media is only reporting negative stuff whoever is being talked about the most is going to win and that's what it comes down to so the book goes into all these details all this data and um, and it again it, it, it makes the prediction that in 2020, Trump is going to win again simply because he's crushing it on online and digital. And until another candidate um, comes up who who can compete with with him um, on the online and digital marketplace, um, no one's going to beat him. And so the book goes into all of those details. It also um, compiles a bunch of Facebook posts, well, really online posts that I personally saw that were kind of... Um, outlandish or that were just completely off base in response to them. So it's essentially a primer on um, the role that the online and digital marketplace played in the 2016 election, ultimately getting Donald Trump elected. Changing um, tax slightly. So on a, on the, yeah, so obviously you're an expert on marketing and, and digital marketing and social media and so on. So if someone wants to have a mindset of giving a, a better experience to their customers, how can they achieve that using you know, digital marketing? It, it, it just depends on what kind of a business you are. So my company prides itself on its customer service. And it's, it's actually, um, this might be a little counterintuitive to what, what you preach, but our competitive advantage actually is our low cost, our, our low pricing structure. And I say that mm-hmm. because, look, my company is no different from thousands of other companies that do the same thing. Just like mm-hmm. the restaurant down the street is no different from the millions of restaurants that are also in, in, in the United States. Um, and you really have to separate yourself from the pack. And so when I started my company, um, the business strategy was different from, how, from what it is today. The business strategy when I started was it was high cost. It was, if you want my services, um, this is my background. This is who I am. This is the experience I have. And if you want to talk to me, if you want my services, it's going to cost this crazy retainer amount per month. Um, mm-hmm. And that ended up actually hurting me because um, clients, some many clients, not all of them, um, but a few of the clients felt like no matter how much we delivered for them, it was not enough because they mm-hmm. themselves didn't know how to quantify the services that we were doing. And so the it all came to a heed when um, we got into a lawsuit with a client and I said, I'm going to have to uh, change the way that I do business because um, whether it was the lawsuit or whether it was losing clients, it came down to your prices are too expensive. We're looking to cut costs. And so mm-hmm. that's when I changed my model And I said, I kind of took, I don't want to say the Amazon approach because Amazon, um, Amazon actually loses money on its online store and it's making the bulk of its money off of its cloud computing. 
or it's um, it's online databases, uh, online servers. Uh, so what we do is we're essentially bringing in clients. And um, as a businessman, of course, I want to make money. And I make sure that I make money on every deal that I do. But we try to charge less than what our competition is charging so that um, our clients essentially won't leave us for price and they will pick us because of price. And then we obviously, the service has always been excellent, um, very timely, really good, high quality services that we offer. Again, you can go to krishmediamarketing.com to check out everything. But um, we've been able to keep our retention rate extremely high because of our low cost, high quality services um, it's rare that anybody leaves us. I can't even remember the last time somebody left us over the last four years. And then kind of going back to the Amazon model, we have some services where we get people in through the door and it's it's somewhat um, low margin. I make a little bit of money personally, but it's really on the back end where we make the real money. So uh, once we get clients on retainer, once we get clients doing big projects like online reputation management or search engine optimization or, or um, full service podcasting. Once we start doing that, then our margin goes up uh, tremendously. Uh, but again, our rates, we still keep our rates as, as affordable and as competitive as possible. So I think I've, I found that happy medium between um, charging the right price and, and uh, trying to keep all the, the clients and customers happy and so business has kind of recycled itself. Um, I want to say it's somewhat automated. We came out with a referral program where we give our, our clients uh, discounts if they refer business to us. Uh, we pay out commissions if they refer business to us. And uh, all of our clients have tens or hundreds or in some cases, thousands of clients of their own. So uh, like I said, the business has kind of recycled itself and it's been able to sustain itself um, and grow over the past few years. And, and so would you say that in, in any of the, the different things that you're doing, the services that you're offering, that you are offering people things that they didn't expect, an experience they didn't expect? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people come in through referral. These are people who I've never met personally. The bulk of our business uh, is people who I've never met personally, um, but they come in through referral because somebody else highly recommended us. And a lot mm-hmm. has to do with the philosophy that I carry, the philosophy that I have which is um, I, don't, I don't do anything that I do for the money. Um, this idea that you have to always be money conscious and um, just do everything for the money, it it's, doesn't really tie into entrepreneurship. Mark Zuckerberg did not start Facebook because he wanted to make a billion dollars. He simply started it because he saw a problem. He thought connectivity was so important between people and there was no way to do it digitally. And so... He just did it for fun. Bill Gates did not start Microsoft because he wanted to make a billion dollars. He started it again because he read an article in a magazine and um, got some ideas and went to a mentor and shared those ideas with him and said, I think there's a real opportunity to do something here. Steve Jobs, Mm -hmm. same thing. He felt like the, the computer at the time was incredibly immobile. It was large. It was difficult to use and he wanted to make it easier because he felt like a computer could do so much for people. And we all know what we do with computers and with iPhones now. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's money has never been the motivating factor. 
In fact, if money was the motivating factor, I would have stayed full time. I would have stayed in corporate, had a stable salary, um, known what exactly what I was getting paid every two weeks and just done that, which is what probably uh, most people feel comfortable doing. Um, but entrepreneurship, it's not like I, I told you that I gave myself a 20% raise when I left my full time job. But what I didn't tell you was there were some years in between where uh, I was worried, I was worried for my future, I, I was worried about paying rent, I was worried that that I would have to go back and get a full time job. And at the end of the day, it was not a money thing. It was an ego thing. It was that I was a failure. I gave it a try. It would be embarrassing to go back. It would be hard to convince employers to come back after being out on my own. Um, that's why I, I was incredibly worried. But I'm, I'm really fortunate now because I think I've reached a, a stage mentally to where um, I feel like I don't ever need to be dependent on uh, an employer or, or a boss ever again. Um, I've, I've reached a point to where there's so many opportunities in front of me to, to make money and to build value and to do stuff that I really enjoy doing and, and learn. Uh, we live in an amazing time thanks to technology. And um, again, I, I've, I feel mentally that I've reached that point. And so I don't think I'll ever, at least, you know, knock on wood, but w- within the next five years, I don't see myself going back to get a corporate job because of kind of that mentality and all the opportunities that are available to me. Um, and then also it's a lifestyle thing as well. So freedom has a lot to do with it. When you're working at a company, uh, your freedom somewhat limited. Now I'm, I'm at my home on my home office, talking to you, doing this podcast interview in the middle of a day. There's no way this would have been happening if I was working at some corporation. So, um, I'm really happy with the way things have turned out. I've gone through the ups, I've gone through the downs and hopefully things will continue to go up. What, so just before we finish, what, what are your general thoughts on over-delivering, exceeding expectations? What do you think about that whole area? Well, I think it's important to always over-deliver and to always exceed expectations. And so I'm not saying people should under-promise and over-deliver. I know that's a strategy that you hear from time to time. But mm-hmm. um, I think if you're going to make a promise, you should certainly maintain that promise. And when you deliver, um, you should certainly try to over-deliver and give more than, than what you can. And, and certainly at Krish Media and Marketing, we try to do that. Um, I try to do that personally, even when it's not business related, if it's something non-business. Um, personally, I, I try to, it's, it's a philosophy that I live by. And uh, I brought up earlier about philosophy, about money. And uh, I should just say, I reiterate, like, it's almost just, um, I, I, you, you have to have this strong, strong-willed, somewhat, um, stubborn mindset of um, believe in yourself, believe in in the work that you do, be honest, don't rip people off, and the business is going to come. And that's what's what's happened in my case. It's not going to come immediately. No business is going to take off immediately. It takes time. And even if it does take off, there are going to be problems. There are going to be corrections. There are going to be down years. And you have to be ready for that. So always be hustling. Uh, prepare for the worst. And uh, like you said, continue to exceed expectations. You don't want to compromise yourself. Your name and your word is all that you have. If my name and my word, uh, for whatever reason, uh, just kind of went down the drain and I developed a poor reputation for myself, 
I mean, that's the end of me socially. That's the end of me personally. That's the end of me professionally. That's the end of my business. It's the end of a lot of stuff. So keep all that in mind and just, just be a good person. Be, be humble, be honest, don't rip people off and, um, and, and good things should happen. You just have to trust in that. So if people want to find out more about you, Naresh, where should they go to? Go to krishmediamarketing.com, K-R-I-S-H mediamarketing.com. Also go to nareshvisa.com. That's my first name and last name. Get on my mailing list there. If you get on my mailing list, we talked about a couple of my books, Podcastnomics, Fifty Shades Marketing, and Trump Book. Go on my site, get on my mailing list, uh, shoot me a note uh, through there, send me an email. And uh, tell me which book you want. I'll send you a free copy to to your listeners if they reach out. I'll send them a free uh, audiobook version of whatever they want, a Kindle version as well. Well, that's a a really kind of Naresh. Thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. All right. It's been a pleasure, Tony. Talk to you soon. Next week, episode 37 is with Adrian Shepard, who's an English guy who grew up in Southeast Asia and has lived in Asia for most of his life. He's now currently living in Japan. And he's had a fascinating story. He, um, like another previous guest, was caught up in the, the massive tsunami in, um, in mid-2000s, which quite you know, really changed his life. He, um, he's built three businesses in his time. He's gone, almost gone bankrupt twice nearly died from drowning a couple of times so that's next week with adrian shepherd hope you've enjoyed this week's show please do leave a review uh join the facebook group exceeding expectations and i hope you have a fantastic week see you next week